0: Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Scott. Welcome to Skipped on Shuffle, a podcast where we delve into an overlooked song by a popular artist.
1: This episode, we'll be talking about Beat a Drum by REM off their 2001 album, Reveal.
0: There's been a few Skipped on Shuffle episodes that we've done so far where one of us has been a huge fan of a group and the other one has been not so much of a huge fan or or even not a fan at all. And uh, this is going to be another one of those episodes where Jason is a very, very big REM fan and I am the opposite of that.
1: (laughs) You could could word this alternatively as someone is
0: horribly wrong
1: (laughs) and and the other person is very right
0: (laughs) yeah so uh uh previous episodes we've done uh like the doors and pink floyd have been episodes where jason has been a big fan of a band and i haven't been and then we've done some other ones where um i think we the the, the Rumstein episode was more was more me so so we've 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 done a couple of these now but uh this one has been kind of hanging over our heads i think ever since we started skipped on shuffle because we knew that at some point we were going to do an rem episode because Cause you're such a big fan, and they're such an important band in the history of alternative music. So it makes sense that we should do one. Uh, but yeah, but I've been kind of been like, oh well, you know. <laughs> and
1: I also knew this. This, no matter what I did, wasn't going to convince. I I feel like I at least had a chance with the doors, which I think I yeah no yeah. semi Absolutely. succeeded, but I I, I felt like this one was just like no matter no matter what I choose yeah is not gonna I
0: I uh, to prepare for this episode you know I listened to this record and I also listened to the greatest hits collection I looked at some live stuff on YouTube and kind of like you know reacquainted myself with REM because I really don't listen to them at all and. You know, like like I said with the Doors episode, at the end of all my research during the Doors and at the end of talking about our episode, I, I came away with much more of an appreciation for the group than I did. But uh, no, not with R.E.M. With R.E.M. I came away. <laughs> just, and I more, was like, just more apathy. And I was for- just like, you know, like this band just doesn't do it for me. But, you know, there are things that I do enjoy about the band, which we're going to get to later. So, you know, we can talk about that in a bit. But uh, it's not like I hate everything about them. It's not like this is one of those bands that I like wish never happened. Like, I'm glad there's an R.E.M. I'm glad that people, you know, like yourself, and enjoy this band but it's just it's just not for me but uh but yeah we'll 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 get into that in a bit.
1: Okay, so R.E.M. begins in Athens, Georgia. It's a college town, the University of Georgia is there, and all the band members were attending classes there. Bassist, keyboardist, and backing vocalist Mike Mills and drummer Bill Berry were friends that had played in bands together since high school. Meanwhile, singer Michael Stipe met guitarist Peter Buck through Buck working at a record store. Stipe would come in buying stuff like The Velvet Underground and Patti Smith, and that was music that Buck also loved, so that sparked that friendship. A mutual friend, Kathleen O'Brien, introduced Mills and Barry to Stipe and Buck, and thus R.E.M. began. They started rehearsing together in an old church and played their first show, mostly cover songs, in the spring of 1980. They allegedly chose their name at random from the dictionary, but someone in Athens recalled that Stipe loved a photographer, Ralph Eugene Meatyard, who signed his work R.E.M., but no one knows for sure. Later that year, Stipe, Mills, Buck, and Barry decide to concentrate solely on the band, and each member eventually drops out of college. A record store owner in North Carolina, Jefferson Holt, hears the band at a show and loves them. He becomes their manager, and they tour in the southern U.S. and develop their skills and sound. In 1981, they record their first single, Radio Free Europe. The song becomes a huge phenomenon, with their independent label, Tone having to unexpectedly press more copies of the single, and the song becomes listed as one of the top ten singles of the year by the New York Times. Later that year, they record an EP called Chronic Town, which they release in the following year in 1982. The band has interest from major labels, including RCA Records, but chose instead to sign with IRS Records, a smaller label that represented other emerging college rock and new wave bands. The label wanted R.E.M. to work with producer Steve Hag, but the band wanted to continue working with producer Mitch Easter, who had done Radio Free Europe and the Chronic Town EP. The band had a rough time with Hagg, who was a perfectionist, which drove the band crazy, and then at one point he took one of their tracks and decided to add keyboards, which the band absolutely hated. They complained to the label, and IRS agreed to let them continue to work with Easter and his producing partner, a guy by the name of Don Dixon. Together, they record their debut album, Murmur, which is released in 1983. It receives tons of acclaim from critics. Rolling Stone names it the record of the year, and they hit number 36 on the Billboard charts. The band developed quite a following due to college radio and made their debut television appearance on The Late Show with David Letterman later that year. The band gets to work on a new record with the same producers and in 1984 released Reckoning. The album attempted to get more of the live feel of the band. It was critically praised and hit number 27 on the charts. Despite the acclaim for the first two records, R.E.M. chose to travel to England and work with a new producer, Joe Boyd, for their third album, which would be Fables of the Reconstruction. The album was thematically a concept album, centering on songs about the South, which is interesting considering they were overseas and maybe partly inspired by the fact that they longed to be back home. While the album performed comparably to their previous releases and got to number 35 in the UK, critics complained about the dark and murky sound of the record. And not thematically, but taking issue with the recording itself. For their next album, 1986's Life's Rich Pageant, R.E.M. would work with producer Don Gaiman. He helped the band craft a clearer sound. Most notably, Stipe's vocals are brought more front and center and can be heard more easily than on previous releases, as you can tell with Fall On Me. The record included political themes and covered environmental topics on songs like Cuyahoga, which the band would continue to explore throughout their career. This album would earn the band their first gold record and represent a turning point where they would start to push towards a more radio-friendly sound that would bring them greater and greater success. Next, the band began to work with producer Scott Litt, a collaboration that would continue for nearly a decade. Their first record together, and the band's fifth overall, was 1987's Document, The sound was bigger, more polished, and more radio friendly than anything they had previously done, moving in the direction Life's Rich Pageant had set them on, as you can hear on the hit, The One I Love.
2: This one goes out to the one I've left behind.
1: The band used some new sounds on that album, such as Mandolin, which would make a regular appearance on the next few records. The album is a big hit with fans and critics, propelling them further into the spotlight, also thanks to a U.S. tour with a few dates in Europe. By this point, the band's deal with IRS label was over, and the band signed with Warner Brothers Records. Some fans saw this as the band selling out, But R.E.M. was unhappy with the lack of distribution of their records in Europe, and Warner Brothers gave them total creative control in that deal. They released their sixth album, Green, in 1988. The record mixed big rock songs with the softer side, using acoustic instruments on several tracks. The band toured for a year, and after being exhausted by that tour, took the following year off. Feeling refreshed, the band records a new record and releases Out of Time in 1991. This record is huge. It debuts at number one in the US and the UK, and the lead single would end up being one of the band's most recognizable songs, Losing My Religion. For the record, the band relied on mandolin and acoustic guitar to write a lot of the material, which was quieter and more subdued than previous records, especially the last two. Interestingly, the band didn't tour to support the record, but did a few shows here and there, including a performance for MTV Unplugged. They quickly went back into the studio, and in 1992 came another big record, Automatic for the People. The band incorporated back more electric instruments, but it still captured that quieter side of the band, and the album explored sadness, mortality, mourning, and loss, as you can hear on one of the record's six singles, Everybody Hurts.
2: When your day is long the night The night is yours alone
1: The album was insanely popular and critically acclaimed, helped by a few upbeat tracks like the Andy Kaufman-inspired Man on the Moon.
2: Now, Andy, did you hear about this one? Tell me, are you locked in the pond? Andy, are you goofing on El-
1: Once again, the band declined to tour to support the record. After being more meditative and somber, the band roared back with Monster in 1994, a loud rock and roll record that returned them to their roots, but had a harder edge than the band had previously shown. In interviews, guitarist Peter Buck and drummer Bill Berry had stated that they were ready to get back to rocking out. You can hear that on the lead single, What's the Frequency, Kenneth? year 1995 the band hit the road for the first time in six years. It was a world tour that saw the band playing in stadiums and big venues. While a success in terms of ticket sales and the band's popularity a series of health problems would plague the band on the tour. Most seriously drummer Bill Berry suffered an aneurysm on stage during a performance in Switzerland nearly dying. While he recovered the incident would cause him to rethink continuing in the band but we'll come back to that because I think in part That event plays a considerable role in the song we're talking about today, Beat a Drum. Later on in that tour, bassist Mike Mills needed surgery for an intestinal issue, and Stipe had surgery for a hernia. Getting old sucks. (laughs) Despite all these problems, though, the band was energized on the tour and wrote a number of songs that would appear on their next record. Also during this time, the band negotiated a massive contract with Warner Brothers Records, rumored to have been five albums for $80 million, which was one of the biggest deals for a band ever.
0: I feel I, there there are movies that are made for less than $80 million. <laughs> like, uh, you know, that that's a lot of money for, I mean, the typical recording contract for a band like R.E.M., you know, at this point, at the height of their game, pretty much, is going to be multiple millions of dollars for absolute sure, but $80 million, like, that's, that's nuts. I it it at least
1: gives you some sense of just how huge... The band was, I mean, no, no one has confirmed, I think the number or anything, but clearly, I mean, it it had to have been like an incredible amount of money and based on their previous success, you were just like, this band is just going to continue to get bigger and bigger.
0: Right. Little, little do they know,
1: (laughs) but wait, there's more. (laughs) So their next record, 1996's New Adventures in Hi-Fi, sounded like a mix of the few previous albums, having the glam rock sound of Monster alongside some more subdued acoustic tracks. While the album did fairly well critically and commercially, it was nothing like the run the band had been on for the past several years. At this time, the band was undergoing some serious changes. They left their longtime manager, Jefferson Holt. If you remember, that was the record store guy turned manager that was there from the very beginning. The story suggests it was about a sexual harassment incident and not anything related to record sales or something like that. Their lawyer becomes their manager, but the big change was drummer Bill Berry leaving the band. The band was set to start writing new material, and just before they got started, Berry broke the news to them. He said that despite loving his job as a rock drummer, he didn't feel as excited about things, and maybe it was time to move on, which he did. To farming. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's not that's not to put anything down about farming it's you know serious and important but think about like seeing some farmer sitting on a tractor somewhere and they were like one of the biggest drummers in one of the biggest bands like in the world it's just it's hard to kind of wrap your head around but we'll we'll talk about that yeah, this, a, a, yeah. a little bit later so barry is fine though um with leaving the band and allowing the band to continue as a trio And Stipe remarks, for me, Mike and Peter, as R.E.M., are we still R.E.M.? I guess a three-legged dog is still a dog. It just has to learn to run differently. So I feel like for Michael Stipe, always that kind of cryptic, like, is that optimistic? Is that
2: pessimistic? (laughs) I'm not really
1: sure. (laughs) So the band isn't quite sure what to do. They plan on using drum loops and doing more experimenting with percussion. But there's a big difference between that and not having a drummer to play with. Different drummers end up coming in to help the band record, but they struggle to get through this record, and they almost decide to break up during the recording of it. But in 1998, they released their 11th studio album, Up. The album is electronic and experimental in many places, particularly for R.E.M., which even they had veered off into folk and country stuff, but was still, you know, a basic guitar, bass, drums, vocal band. One of the more recognizable tracks, both as REM, as you had known them, and from this record, is Day Sleeper.
2: Everywhere is calm. Hong Kong is present. Taipei wakes up. Talk of circadian rhythm.
1: The album is not well-received, mostly in the U.S., but the band still had massive following overseas, especially in the U.K., that would continue while the band's popularity declined at home. They toured, and then they would record two new songs for the Andy Kaufman biopic, Man on the Moon. In 2000, the band starts writing and recording, releasing Reveal in 2001, which our song today, Beat a Drum, is on. It's a gorgeous record and more cheerful than the band has sounded in a while, if maybe ever, as you can hear on Imitation of Life. We'll come back around to this record, though, in just a few minutes. The album is comparable to Up in terms of sales, but the critical reception to Reveal was much more positive. The band decides to play a number of smaller shows and various promotional gigs rather than do a full tour. In 2004, they put out Around the Sun, their 13th studio album. It received middling reviews and sold even worse than Up and Reveal. This was the first R.E.M. record since Green back in 1988 not to make the top 10 in the U.S. charts. The band did tour behind this one, and I finally got to see them. And despite this record obviously not being one of their best, the tour was great, and I think some of the material on that record sounds better live and mixed in with their other stuff. And I actually almost picked the song I Wanted to Be Wrong from that album for this episode. After these critical and commercial punches, R.E.M. released Accelerate in 2008, a rock record filled with several short, heavy, fierce tracks that showed the band still had fire in them and the old R.E.M. was still there. Rather than a single, take a listen to the opening track, Living Well is the Best Revenge. The band has since discussed that they wanted to prove they could still make a great record that people loved. The album really earned R.E.M. quite a bit of their credibility back and the record debuted at number two on the U.S. charts. They did a world tour and they played their last live show in Mexico in 2008. In 2011, the band released their 15th and final studio album, Collapse Into Now. The band used the same producer from Accelerate, Jack Knife Lee, so it has a similar energy and sound. The band said they wanted to go out on a high note And they all agreed to disband, which they announced six months after that record came out. But now let's go back to 2001 and the album reveal, so we can talk about beat a drum.
0: We hope you're enjoying this episode of Skipped On Shuffle right about now in most podcasts you'd be hearing an ad for something uh but we are trying to keep skipped on shuffle ad free and the way we're going to be able to do that is through patreon
1: please visit our patreon page at patreon.com skipped on shuffle any donations go to support the costs associated with running this podcast oh
0: just went through REM's history and as you can tell there's a lot of stuff in there there's 15 records over you know multiple decades of time uh going through major shifts in the world of music you have the beginning in the 80s where there's a lot of new wave and a lot of synthesizers and artificial sounds then you have the 90s with the explosion of grunge and it goes all the way through into the mid-2000s as well so it's like this is a band that's been active over over many many time many many periods of time where where music was shifting into different types of directions, but the band still keeps its own like sound and uh, aesthetic going through all of it, which is pretty impressive. But uh, this album that we're going to talk about today, "Reveal," with the song "Beat a Drum" on it, is at a very unique point for the band where the, the drummer has left the group, like we said, to be a farmer and get out of the spotlight after having a brain aneurysm on stage, which is just crazy. I mean, how many bands drummers have brain aneurysms on stage and then say, I'm, I'm leaving to be a farmer instead? Like, I don't know. You can't, can't really make that up. But uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting time period in the band's history because so much had changed with around R.E.M., you know, like I was talking about with all these shifts in the music culture and the way the music industry runs and what's popular on the radio and whatever. But this is around the first time that anything's really changed for REM, the group, with with Bill Berry leaving. So this is uh, an interesting snapshot of of a band finally getting interrupted in a way with within their within their chronology for the first time.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. I I realize going through the history, we kind of. It it sometimes is devoid of context of, like, what else is going on in the music industry. But, yeah, I mean, this band, like, we we talk about kind of the decline of popularity um, of the band for, like, the later albums. But you have to remember, like, there's this whole huge shift happening independent of, you know, that, that the band has no control over. They're just still, you know, going through and making records, how they feel like they should be. You know, recorded and made, and, and I'm sure you know talking, talking or listen, listening to any of the band members talking about other music. I'm sure they don't care about what is happening in the right, <laughs> in, yeah, in 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 the outside world of of you know commercial music. But yeah, this record is really interesting to me, and it sits in the middle of this time where a lot of people feel like the band really went afield, where you know Billberry leaves, they record up, which is like just this weird kind of record even for you know the the time of you know the the, the post grunge era it's, it's still like an odd record if, if you ever put it on and listen to it from beginning to end um, and didn't know it was REM you might not know it was REM basically to reveal which is kind of like taking I feel like the good parts of that album and the things that really worked in making this like gorgeous lush record um, that the band members really describe as this kind of like summer record and I think if you throw it on, you can kind of get that feeling like it feels like you're like laying out in the sun. Just kind of losing track of time and where you are and there's very much that that feeling on this album. But I think the other thing that makes it interesting and a couple things things I just want to mention are I feel like this isn't a record that a young band could make. Like this sounds like a really just like mature album. As, as weird as that might sound. And I also feel like this is an album for, if you're already a fan of R.E.M., I feel like this is a hard record to listen to if you're not a fan of the band or to convince someone about why R.E.M. is so essential to, you know, your 80s, 90s era alternative rock music. Like, put, putting on this record isn't going to convince anyone that, that R.E.M. is this amazing band i i think despite the record being i think just really well produced really well crafted but it's not even i i think for me as a huge rem fan i i don't even think i'd choose it in like my top five of rem records
0: well you it, it's interesting because when you're when you're a young band i feel like universally most young bands have a lot to prove like they have they have to they have to make their stamp on the world and they come out guns blazing because they know that they have to one up all the other bands that are also fighting for that time in the spotlight so whether it's like you know uh being somewhat you know outlandish with like maybe the way they dress or how they do interviews or or their album cover or whatever some some sort of like statement has to be made and they have to claw their way to the front of the of the line you know with their i mean go to any American town and across the United States, and you're going to find like, you know, at least like 50 different bands made up of totally different members and different sounds, different ideas, all trying to vie for that time in the spotlight where they can be the next big thing. So, you know, REM is is well past those days. You know that was at this point when Reveal comes out, that was twenty years ago. Like so, they're they've already established themselves. They've already had their their big hit record. They've already done their big things. They've done their big tours. They did their. Th- television spots they had the controversies and the and the success and and all that already and like you said like this is a mature record where they just sort of sat down and were like we don't have to do that anymore we don't have to prove ourselves to the world we've already done that we're already REM we're already you know legends in our own time when it comes to alternative independent college style music so why not just sit down and make a a, a record that's you know, very quiet with lots of piano and lots of acoustic guitar, and very lush and produced. And why not do that? Because who cares? Like we don't have to prove th- things to anybody anymore.
1: Yeah, like I said, this sounds like a summer record, and it all sounds like I'm just gonna you know take my lawn chair, chill out in the sun over here, and just you know have a good time. And w- whatever you want to make of this thing, you know, is 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 up to you. But we're we're pretty proud of this record. And and I mean, that's the interesting thing about this band is. I mean, they, they went to different places, mostly recorded the album in Vancouver and Ireland, and the band talks a lot about how nice it was just to basically, like, get away from everything. Where, you know, probably most of the time when REM is mentioned, just considering what Up sounded like and just kind of the what people perceive, I guess, as, as the decline of the band, at least justified, you know, commercially if you're looking at, like, sales numbers. But it probably feels good to just, like, get away and just be like we're still the same people. We're still, you know, writing this material. Let's just do stuff we're proud of. Um, especially having gotten through, I think like the grieving period of Bill Berry leaving the band, which obviously had such a huge impact, which is just interesting to think about for a band where I love all the members of the band. I I think they're all phenomenal musicians, but I wouldn't have guessed that, you know, the, the drummer would be like the irreplaceable part of this band that would completely change how they sounded.
0: Yeah. it, It was, it's just interesting to me too, because I don't know, like when I think of the sound of REM, I think obviously first of, of Michael Stipe and his interesting vocal delivery and, and his, and his voice kind of like this, like higher pitched, almost like kind of nasally sound and, You know, I think of that, and then I think of the arpeggiated guitar from Peter Buck, which has got a very interesting tone to it, and it's a different, certainly a different style of playing as compared to what was mostly happening during the late '80s and early '90s with like power power chords, Nirvana kind of stuff. So I think about those two things. I don't really think much about Mike Mills as the bass player because it's pretty much basic bass playing and I certainly don't think of the drummer the drummer sounds like you could take Bill Berry out of the band and put in any other drummer and they could probably do exactly what Bill Berry can do because what he's doing is not that complicated or or innovative or interesting however apparently behind the scenes Bill Berry had like a huge impact on on the group which is really interesting to me because I I, it's kind of like the opposite of of, of, of one of my favorite bands of all time, which is the Smashing Pumpkins. And if you, we already did a Smashing Pumpkins episode, so I won't go too deep into this, but the band kicked out their drummer, Jimmy Chamberlain, at, at, at the height of their career. And it drastically changed the sound of the band. I mean, it was incredible how different the band sounded without Jimmy Chamberlain, but the band still did everything fine. Like Billy Corgan was still the primary songwriter. He was still singing. It still sounded like the Smashing Pumpkins and the band continued on as if it was, you know, nothing had changed, but they didn't sound like them anymore. And then they hire him back for the for the record after Adore and, and everything's back to normal. Like it sounds very much like the Smashing Pumpkins again. So it like it's interesting to think about a drummer leaving a band and drastically changing the music, but then you have a drummer leaving another band, REM, and the music still sounds kind of REM-ish, but apparently behind the scenes it wasn't at all. Because from what we've done with our research here, we found like the band just like like you know like we said they threw like, their just, hands up in the air like, like, like what, are what are we gonna yeah. do like we we don't have this drummer he doesn't play like a four on the floor beat like i like something i don't know if it's a songwriting aspect or even just like a personality aspect like you know maybe maybe i mean i don't know the inner workings of how rem worked at the time but maybe like michael stipe and peter buck like would constantly butt heads about like what direction to take things in and maybe uh, the drummer came in and was as, like, as a kind of moderator, a yeah. moderator and without that things just didn't work out you know I don't know what it was but clearly it was such a huge deal and then we have this song beat a drum which obviously from the title alone you can guess is is about <laughs> you know this drummer leaving the band or, or, or about well I guess more about like him personally almost like a I don't know, like a friendly letter from Michael Stipe to Bill Berry kind of situation. Or,
1: so. or, yeah, or I feel like to some extent, Stipe putting himself in, what, what was this guy feeling when he made this decision? Yeah. Potentially. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's a pretty weird moment for the band. And also, too, like they, before Barry decided to leave, they had already made this decision, like we're going to do more electronic stuff and drum loops and synth and, and programming and kind of like, digitally meshing things together that's really interesting to wonder would that stuff have still happened if bill Berry was still in the band um so i mean it's just it's just this record is very interesting for that reason but let's turn to a little bit focusing more on beat a drum specifically <laughs> I think what makes Reveal interesting for me, and especially Beat a Drum, is this continuous theme that I feel like runs through the record of it being really this meditation on the divide between religion and spirituality and science and logic on the other side of things and kind of how you perceive and understand things. And I know we just talked about the record, but I'm just going to jump back before we hop into Beat a Drum just to kind of like set up some of this where where these themes appear in in the lyrics so in the opening track the lifting starts with or 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 has the line rather you've said the air was singing it's calling you you don't believe these things you've never seen never dreamed so there's this idea of some kind of subjective perception going on and and this kind of something happening behind the scenes that isn't maybe clear to other people or possibly not entirely clear to you. And this is carried through on some of the other tracks on I've been high. It says, have you seen have not will travel. Have I missed the big reveal? And on another song chorus in the ring, Hey, they're now young. Holy swing along, quote the scriptures, keep them guessing which pit you crawled from. So there's this weird kind of religion theme going on along with just like some kind of perception understanding as as given as given by the the title of the record reveal so I, i think an interesting thing to think about is what is being revealed and i feel like beat a drum kind of really digs into that theme so in the beginning of the song there's a line the sun reflected in the back of my eye which there's scientifically and just just biologically that's how we perceive things is taking in, you know, light and an image is reflected in the back of our eye and then our brain processes it. So there's that whole meaning that we attribute without really thinking of those processes. And then there's another line, a doctorate in science and a theologian's dream, which I feel like now incorporates some of you can understand things from a scientific logical point of view but you can also think about things from a more religious, spiritual side of things. And I feel like that's kind of what this song and this album kind of deal with. Uh, I realize that I'm making kind of a a short argument here. Uh, but I feel like if, if you listen to this album from beginning to end, I think you would walk away with some of the similar feeling. I haven't been able to quite pin it down. I mean, that's part of... Why I like R.E.M. is just the weird crypticness of Michael Stipe's lyrics where I might walk away and be like, I'm pretty sure this is what this record is about. And someone else might listen and walk away with a completely different feeling and understanding to things. But I, I really feel like there's, there's something to that throughout this record, this kind of like tension between the two uh, sides of things.
0: listen to the song i had already done the research on the record you know cuz i don't really know r e m too well so i had to sort of dive into the history of the group and the history of the you know making of this album to to figure out like what was going on at the time to to try and you know, use that to figure out my perception of what was going on. And I, I, you know, for the whole record, I definitely get what you're saying about like the lushness of the production, how like summery it could be like, you know, some like a summer album kind of stuff. But the thing that hit me the most about this particular song was how blatant it was about the drummer. And, you know, you know, you're, you're sort of, uh, picking out these lines about like, you know, the the theology and science kind of, you know, butting heads within Michael Stipe. And that might be something that's like for the whole record. But for this song, like the other lines that you, you haven't mentioned yet kind of jumped out more to me, which is, for example, halfway from coal, halfway to diamond, my fall knocked a mean chip out of me. So I think with the first, the first line, halfway from coal, halfway to diamond, is basically Michael Stipe saying that you know just because this this person, this drummer, Bill Berry, just because he, you know, was in a huge rock band and was, you know, one of the biggest bands of this of this era, was the drummer for that band for, for a number of years and then decided to leave, doesn't mean that he's reached his peak and is now on his decline. He's basically saying he's halfway from Cole, halfway to Diamond. There's still ways to go before this person that Michael Stipe is clearly very close to. there's a, there's a long way before this person achieves the perfection of, of being a diamond. He's, he's not, you know, a raw lump of coal anymore. He's not like completely unrefined, but he also isn't done. And so that, that's what I get from that line. And then the next part of the line, my fall knocked a mean chip out of me is pretty much just, you know, like, this aneurysm that he had on stage. The literal
1: like, falling of oh, literal, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah a literal, you know, interpretation of what happened. Uh, you know, kinda gives you that 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 idea that this is directly related to what 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 that part is. And then so you know then there's 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 other parts like the chorus of the song is this is all i want it's all i need this is all i am it's everything this is all i want it's all i need. And like that is basically what the drummer said when he left the band. He's like listen guys like i really enjoy being a rock drummer. I have I think his quote was i have the best job in the world. I play in a rock band and i tour the world and make tons of money and have a blast. But I need to do something else now. I'm not ready to do this anymore and so I'm going to go and be a farmer. And once again, this is all I want, this is all I need. This is all I am. It's everything. Like th- that's it. Like I want to be a farmer. I don't need to do this anymore. So I think the song, you know, in, in in a whole, I think the lines that you're picking out definitely bring into the thematic elements of the album itself, which is really cool. But at the same time, I feel like if even if you didn't know anything about the album and its motifs and all that stuff you would still come away with this song would be like wow like this seems like a very reflective song about a person who's very simple and and appreciates the simplicity of their own life and that's i think impressive on its own i think that 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 makes the song stand out on its own devoid from what's going on within the band personally within you know the 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 split or within the thematic elements of what this album represents as a whole
1: yeah there's also this kind of getting in touch with nature kind of kind of thing that fits along with kind of the the bill berry story of just getting back to something simple you know soil and earth kind of thing with the seahorses are busy buzzing me or the sorry The dragonflies are busy buzzing me, seahorses if we were in the sea, just kind of taking note of those smaller aspects of life that we might not otherwise notice because you figure you're in this rock band, you're touring, it's like get, get in the plane, get in the truck, you know, get in the van, go to the next thing. And it's clearly someone kind of sitting out in, you know, under a tree or something, looking out and seeing like, oh, there's all these. With, all, a, all with, this.
0: A, with a reed sticking yeah. out of their mouth and a <laughs> Ex- straw hat. Exactly.
1: <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of sitting back and like taking this in and being like, wow, life is, you know, really beautiful. And it's nice to slow down the pace and notice these things. And I realize we, we've talked a lot about the, the taking the song as being Bill Berry's point of view, but it might also be just the point of view of the band in general. And that must be kind of hard for the band to be like, have Bill Berry come in and say, you know, here's how I'm feeling. Here's what I've decided to do. And deciding, okay, well, we're going to continue. And then writing a song and being like, oh, shit, this guy is right. Yeah. This, like- this guy is right about life. And maybe we're I, – I feel like when R.E.M. ended, they kind of came to the same realization that Barry had had years before of just – there's there's more to this and it's run its course and there's nothing to be upset about or regret like we've 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 had a great run and we all love this thing and it's okay to just be like it's over and yeah it just took them
0: 10 years longer to get there than it did (laughs) there and yeah there's
1: like these other things to to think about and consider and i i feel like for this record you know the 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 band wouldn't break up for another 10 years the line beat a drum for me like a butterfly wing tropical storm across the ocean it kind of is is this ode to we'll always remember you we're we're gonna beat a drum for you you're still like a part of this thing even though you're not there and it's fragile the the whole butterfly wing thing and i i also just like the tropical storm across the ocean which is are are we through the tumultuous period like on the one hand we feel like we are on the other hand is this tropical are we just waiting for this storm to come in and i and i feel like that's one thing that i i mentioned before about how much i love the the cryptic kind of ambiguous nature of michael stipe's lyrics and i feel like that's kind of a a perfect example where it's just like am i supposed to feel sad am i supposed to feel happy like i'm not really sure what i'm supposed to take away from this and i and i feel like that's kind of one of the most powerful things about rem consistently is you know I, i i feel like they consistently have good songs, cool riffs, n- n- nice everything is like so well done and then you have Stipe coming in on top of it all just being a really ambiguous figure in it all where it's the, it's this like magician guy who comes in and you're not really sure like should we be, should we be worried about this person and what they're going to tell us or are they telling us just to kind of like celebrate things and I and I feel like that's kind of the the perfect thing about this song is we're 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 not really sure we're in that halfway to coal halfway to diamond where we're just sitting somewhere in between and we're not really sure how things are
2: gonna go
0: mentioned at the top of the episode that I am not really that big of an REM fan. Uh, But I, I would like to clarify that that's only really because I'm not that big of a fan of the music itself. And that's really interesting. An interesting thing to say, because I feel like it's very rare that there's a band that I don't really care for the music, but I deeply respect pretty much everything else about them. Like usually it's the other way around. Usually it's like, I like this band's music, but I really don't care for them as personalities or I don't think that they're, you know, uh, the way that they operate their band is, is good or whatever. It's, it's very rare that I'm like, oh, this band is really cool, but their music is really not my style or, or whatever. And and that's what happens with REM. So, I mean, we didn't really touch on this too much. I mean, we, we talked about how their their albums got a little bit more political as things moved on. But this band's politics are very, very much aligned with my own, especially Michael Stipe. Michael Stipe, I mean, he he was he used his time in the spotlight for positive messages. He was very in tune with the idea that he had the privilege of being able to stand on a stage or on a TV, you know, on a, 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 on, on a TV show or whatever and have a, and have a message broadcast. This is the kind of guy that constantly wore t-shirts that just had like messages written directly on them in big, huge, bold letters to try and get across some sort of message to, to anybody that happened to be flipping through the channels or anybody who was at the concert, you know, checking them out. Things like, you know, handgun reform, uh, equal rights for, for, for the lgbtq community and all sorts of stuff that really aligns well with mine and i deeply respect that i also deeply respect the idea that the band understood that they were it was time to throw in the towel like they understood they were like we could continue doing this forever you know we are a group we are a legendary group in the alternative music scene we're one of the biggest you know one of the biggest bands of all time and we could continue doing this indefinitely because you know Look at the Rolling Stones; they're still they're <laughs> still kicking. Uh, but they they but they didn't. You know they said no. Like let's let's call it a day. Let's end this on a high note. Let's let's just say like this is it. We're done. And I feel like this is not going to be a situation where at, at least it's been you know what eight years since they since they split. And they you know there's been no reunion shows. There's been no big tour where we're getting back together. We're putting out a new album. There's been no nothing like that because they're no. They're like we're committed. We are doing this and and i and i deeply respect that as well and i also deeply respect the ideas that they get across in their music of of you know like you're talking about this ambiguity of trying to like make it so that we're saying things in a direct fashion but you can interpret them how you want i always respect when bands do that that's why i'm a big fan of lyricists you know like billy corgan where it's like you don't know what he's talking about half the time but then every now and then he hits on something that really grabs you or you know different things like that that happen within the lyrical structure so I could go on like I could literally list out like all these things and it's only when we get to the music that I start being like eh not really that big of a fan. So that, that, that makes REM really interesting for me. So usually at the end of these episodes, we talk about like our own personal connections to it. And I really don't have any personal connections to REM's music as, as it is. I remember the, everybody hurts video coming out and I remember how huge that was. I remember seeing, uh, them play losing my religion on Saturday night live and being like, Whoa, like this was, this was a huge moment for them, like coming out with the mandolin and stuff, you know, when, Nirvana is like the biggest (laughs) band and this band comes out with this mandolin. It was like, you know, it was a weird time. And I remember all these things. And I, and I, like I said, every time I see them, every time I hear about them, I always think like, wow, I really respect what this band does. I, uh, I I'm, I supported Bernie Sanders on his uh, 2016 run for the presidential candidacy, and uh, Michael Stipe introduced him when I saw a, a a rally here in Connecticut with Bernie Sanders. And Michael Stipe came out. He said a lot of amazing things. I said, "Wow, that guy is super cool." Too bad I really don't like his band. You know, like, no matter what, I always try, and I just don't get it. So it I don't know. I'm Ari- so
1: glad he didn't sing.
0: <laughs> yeah, REM just has this weird thing for me where I like them so much in so many facets. But I never, ever put them on and listen to their music at all. So I, I guess it's it's weird. It, this is, like I said at the top of the episode, this is not The Doors. This is not Pink Floyd. This is not a, a situation where the band itself is something that I'm just not into. I actually, I, on paper, I am really into REM. But then once <laughs> I start playing the music, I'm just not into it. So REM exists in like this weird sphere for me. So that's, that's the only personal connection I can really have with, with, with the whole group. It's just like, wow, I really respect everything about you, but I just, I'm not going to buy any of your records.
1: <laughs> I think for me at the time I started listening to REM came around the weird Bill Berry leaving the band kind of time. I, re- I remember buying New Adventures in Hi-Fi, which was the last record they made with Bill Berry. Loving that. And then buying up when that came out and being completely oblivious to the fact of what had happened internally with the band and loving the rock side of the band, as well as like the weird experimental stuff that they were doing. I kind of just didn't realize anything had happened. And I think it made me as a listener, both both to R.E.M. and music in general just more amenable to bands just doing weird, wildly different things and not really thinking anything of it. Cause I didn't have any like context to put it in. So I wasn't just like, well, this is a big shift. Like I, I, I got that. It sounded different, but I just thought like, here, here's a band that's just kind of, you know, stretching out and trying different things. Uh, and, and I don't know, I, I think coming into REM at that time, just just made me a better music listener so as I started like digging through the their back catalog as well as keeping up with everything they were currently doing was was kind of an interesting trajectory to take and I feel like for a lot of the bands that we talk about we we do kind of come into listening to these bands at really different times and it's always interesting because sometimes we're just listening entirely retrospectively like the band was there and they put out you know two or three albums and then they were done and we're coming to it 20 years later so it was weird coming into a band that was towards the end of their life but also still kind of continuing or as as state puts it with with the dog (laughs) you know kind of limping on but but not being aware of that and i think you know I, i i remember as a kid loving losing my religion and everybody hurts and later on kind of putting that together like oh that's this band because when i picked up new adventures in hi-fi it was because of uh bittersweet me which is like this kind of cool chill rock song but i really loved ebo the letter which is this weird poetic michael stipe kind of like rapping poetry sort of thing with Patty Smith kind of singing in the background. It's a very weird song, I think, for a 12-year-old kid to, to, <laughs> to, to, to enjoy, probably. Um, but I, I feel like it kind of just opened me up to, like, a lot of different music. So as I started to dig through REM's catalog and and going back to records, you know, I, I picking up Automatic for the People and picking up Out of Time, those being kind of the two big ones, picking up monster i feel like i just kind of walked slowly backwards through their records and it's funny that it took me so long i think to appreciate where they started and where they came from because for a long time if you had asked me what's like your favorite rem record i'd be like i love up more than any others and probably any REM fan I talked to would be like, what the hell is wrong with you? (laughs) Like you were the weirdest person. (laughs) And and, and I feel like it, it helped me not only, I think love this band a little bit more, but love all kinds of like those changes that bands kind of just naturally go through. And I think going through it kind of backwards and forwards at the same time makes this band make so much more sense to me than I feel like for probably most other people. And, I don't know it's weird to just kind of convey that I think in in words and and I think that's kind of like one of my favorite parts about R.E.M. where even though you know I know I know you're not a fan of the music but it's like just some kind of overall mood and sound that this band is able to make that are so wildly different that I think I connect to all these different things and I I feel like for Discussing our personal connections to bands, this is one that I can't kind of easily disentangle to be like, oh, it's this particular thing at this particular moment. It's just kind of all entwined with like how I've grown up and how I've come to kind of appreciate music and especially rock bands that stretch kind of the boundaries and do so many different things where they veer into electronic stuff or they go kind of like country and folky. It's made me so much more open to all those different directions and appreciate all that, I guess, breadth a lot more uh, than I feel like for maybe any other band that I listen to where, you know, whatever a band decides to do, whether it's, you know, we're going to do quiet acoustic stuff now, or we're going to do loud, heavy, dirty rock and roll. I'm just like, okay, whatever. It's all, you know, it's <laughs> all good to me. And I, 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 I kind of thank REM, I think, mostly for a lot of that. Uh, more than more than i can as i said more than i can kind of put into words or or convey so um i feel like i want to close on i love reveal but like i said i i don't think this is the 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 record that's going to get you into rem i i would i would probably recommend to people starting somewhere early middle i mean the 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 hit records are, are just hit records and they're they're Super enjoyable to listen to. But but I think if if you if you're gonna pick up anything, life's rich pageant, I think is my favorite REM record. Green has really grown on me over the years, and I, I still love new adventures in Hi-Fi. I feel like picking up one of those records where it was kind of a, a transitional sort of just just before kind of the 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 big changes happened, I feel like our are are good inroads to, to REM because I realize, you know, you look at any band and, and I feel like this is kind of a roadblock that I run into all the time when I, I, there's a band that I'm not familiar with when you're like, holy shit, there's 15 records. I don't even, what do I I, I don't even know, like, where to start with this. But, you know, I, I would I would really recommend, you know, Life's Rich Pageant Green, and uh, New Adventures in Hi-Fi, and then just kind of... And not work, this one, not Reveal.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Skipped on Shuffle. Please visit our website at www.skiptonshuffle.com for more news about other episodes and our upcoming schedule.
0: We are also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please visit skippedonshuffle.com for links to all of our social media pages.